Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, just briefly, for people who missed last night? Is that all right? Well, they, if they weren't here last night, they don't deserve to know who I am, <laughs> frankly. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so hi, I am um, Andy Kind. I am uh, a promedian, the Europe's only promedian, a preacher and comedian. So I've been a professional comedian for 14 years. I'm also one of the leaders at Redeemer King Church in Chesterfield. So um, I do both those things, and you haven't ever met anybody who does both of those things, I can guarantee you. Uh, so that's, that's who I am. Is that enough? I'm married. I have two little girls, and uh, some of that was mentioned last night. Um, just, I've got lots bubbling under the surface this morning, and just really encouraged. So I've, <laughs> as you were kind of sharing prophetic words and stuff, I realized that some of the stuff I was going to say this morning you don't need to hear because you already know it. Um, so I know where we'll start, and I know where we'll end, and everything, up, everything else is up for grabs. How about that? Isn't that good? Um, I just say, I often get emotional when I preach. Uh, I'm just warning you, and it's okay. But I was thinking about why I get emotional. I get emotional, I think, when I hear myself saying something that I could only say if Jesus actually was Lord. Because I didn't want any of this. I didn't want to be a preacher. I find Christianity cheesy. I do. I find going out on the street sharing the gospel with people fearful and embarrassing. I couldn't say the things I say unless I actually believed it. So I, I, I get emotional, I think, when I say things. I think, what, why are you saying this? Well, it's because he actually is the sustainer of all things. He actually is the source of love, light, and life. I was dead in my sins, and now I have been made alive. Made alive. So I've got something to say to you. This is what God says about you. If there's a theme this morning, it's basically identity. But then all writing is about identity, so that's a bit of a cop-out, frankly. Uh, this, is what the, this is what God says about everyone in this room. It says, uh, you're called Beacon Church, aren't you? So people of Beacon Church, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. Because the Lord has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. He has sent all of you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is about you. How does that make you feel? Do you believe it? Good, you need to. Now, obviously, I know that's Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, written a few thousand years ago, and it prophesies the coming of Jesus. So it's not primarily about you. You're not the primary audience. However, because it's about him, it's now about us. In Romans 4, Paul's talking about Abraham. He's talking about how Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then he says in Romans 4, the words it was credited to him were not written just for him, but also for us, for all of us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's the hook. That's the hook that hooks us in to the story of God's narrative. The words it was credited to him were not written just for him, but for us. If you are someone, and most people in this room are, if you are someone who believes in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, then you have to believe, logically, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. And imagine if you really, really, really did. Imagine what would happen if you left this room knowing 
that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was resting on you. Imagine if you actually believed that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your life. Because this book says that it is. And you have a choice whether you want to trust it or not. But none of us are neutral. Like, we all believe something. I'll come to that in a bit. If you don't believe, if you don't believe that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you, then who is it on? If it's not on you, who is it on? If you haven't been sent to proclaim good news to the poor, if you haven't been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to proclaim liberty to the captives in Hearn Bay, then who, who else is going? Who's going? Who else is going to do it? It's you guys. And this is why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. The big change in my life didn't come when I became a Christian at the age of 22. The big change in my life came when I started to read this book as though it was written for me. Not about me, but for me. When we start to allow ourselves to be written in to God's narrative, things change. What's your name, sir? David. David. <laughs> Don't be so enthusiastic, David. <laughs> David. Get on with it. The Bible, the Bible name. It's a good name in the Bible. Dance before the Lord with no clothes on. <laughs> and also the guy in the Bible did it as well. Um, <laughs> the big thing, when you, when you allow yourself to be wired into the text, imagine if you did that. So David, and just using the examples, David, you can now read Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you can put yourself in it. It is for freedom that Christ has set me, David, free. Imagine the change of mind that happens there. Jenny here, she can read Romans 8 where it says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You can put yourself in it. I am convinced that there's nothing that can separate me, Jenny, from the love of God. I can read Galatians 4 verse 7 and say, I am no longer a slave, but a son. I, Andy Kind, am no longer a slave to the things that was enslaving me. I am a son. The question is, who are you? Who do you, who do you say that you are? Because we're not neutral. We believe lots of things about ourselves. If you don't believe this, you will believe other things. Because you're not neutral. We are not free thinkers, any of us. We are sponges. What's um, L'Oreal's catchphrase? You're worth it. You see, you all know that. L'Oreal tell you that you're worth it. Well, what are you worth? <laughs> well, you're worth buying their products. They affirm you so that you'll buy their products. It's not true. <laughs> they don't really think that you're worth it. Jesus Christ comes and says that you are, you are worth it. You're worth dying for. You have a choice what you want to believe. And, you know, for something to be believed by you, it doesn't have to be true. Jesus says, I am the truth. He says there's also a father of lies. Satan isn't the father of negative emotions. He's the father of lies. Don't get me wrong, I'm a charismatic Christian. I believe in the... I believe in it. But most of the demonic is mainly founded on lies. Satan cannot rewire the universe. And if... I used to it's like, it's like bulk slightly at people using Satan. But I, 
Jesus believed that Satan was a person. He believed that Satan was a person. He said he was alive from the beginning. I, I saw him fall like lightning. Like Jesus believes that Satan is a real person. He's not just the darker side of yourself. And I, I follow Jesus. I trust Jesus. So even if I find it confusing, I, I trust him. Satan cannot rewire the universe. Satan cannot change the fact that there is a God of unconditional love who says that you are worth dying for. He can't change that. Satan can't change the fact that God came to find you when you felt like nothing and offered you everything. He can't change that. He can't rewire the universe. All he can do is help you to rewire your mind so that you don't believe that you're worth dying for, so that you don't believe that it's that important. Satan's plan. Satan can't steal your soul because it is hidden with Christ in God. You are saved. But you're not safe. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. And he wants you to believe other things more than you believe the gospel. And if he can do that, then, then he's won. His only real weapon against you is fear. That's his only real weapon. He wants you to self-preserve which is a corruption of the gospel, which is about self-sacrifice. He wants you to protect your life and not, and not lay it down. He can't rewire the universe. He cannot change the fact that Jesus Christ looks at every one of you and says, my child, I know you and I love you. Come to me and you can have freedom and you can know truth and joy and hope and purpose. You see, the voice of the enemy sounds a lot like the voice of the father. The voice of the enemy looks at you and says... I know what you're like. Oh, I know what you're like. I know that sin that entangles you. You're going to go back to that. You'll, you'll look at stuff on the internet again. You'll get depressed and stop contacting your friends again. You'll shout at your kids again. You'll hit your spouse again. I know what you're like. The voice of the father says, don't listen to him. Because I know who you are. I know who you are. And you are who I say you are. You are not the sum total of your choices to this point. You are a son and a daughter. A son or a daughter. You're not both, probably. <laughs> you are someone upon whom rests the spirit of the sovereign Lord. You are beloved, fully known and fully loved. Whether you currently know Jesus or not, he knows you and he loves you. He died for you. Not just so that the sins could be forgiven. That's true. He did die so that the stuff you've done wrong doesn't get to dictate. But he also died so you could come into knowing who you were born to be. Ephesians 4 says we were created to be like God. That was the plan. Not to be God, but to be like God. You were, you were born to be a co-heir with Christ. Who is the heir to all things. Like, you get everything that he gets. You get the suffering, sure. But you get the love, the joy, the hope, the peace, the purpose. These are not vague philosophical concepts. These are real things that you can have now and keep forever. I used to, um, I used to live in, in Huddersfield. And... Uh, I was there when Huddersfield won the playoff final. They've just come down now, but they won the playoff final a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And I was there in, in Huddersfield when, when they won on penalties against Reading. And I was out in town. I'd been, to, I'd been for Cheeky Nando's, and they, they all came out of the pub, and this guy raced up to me. 
They're all going crazy. This guy raced up to me and said, Hey, mate, isn't it great news? Isn't it great news? Win the t- 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 Premiership, isn't it great news? By the way, that is a very good Huddersfield accent. <laughs> if it, it's also my generic northern accent. If this happened in Sunderland, exactly the same point. <laughs> he said, Isn't it great news? Win the t- t- Premiership. And before I had a chance to say anything, he raced off to tell somebody else. And as he raced off, I thought, Oh my gosh, I've just met an evangelist. <laughs> Honestly, I've met, I've met someone who has witnessed something that has changed his life. It has filled him with great joy, and he can't wait to tell people about it. And the difference between him and me, the reason that he's a better evangelist than I am, is that he wasn't bothered what I thought. He didn't care what I thought about him. He had good news of great joy to share, and my cynicism didn't get to best his joy. Before I had a chance to respond, he raced off, and he told somebody else. I don't know many Christians that excited about the Lord as this guy was about Huddersfield Town. And we should be, because Huddersfield have come down. We're going up and we're staying up. So we should, <laughs> honestly. We just need to stop believing lies. Like, you shouldn't be ashamed for believing a lie. You should just stop believing the lie. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is never a point where Jesus says, Ah, oh, sorry, you've used up all your lives. You can't phone a friend. There's never that point. There is never any condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ Jesus, then that's a different conversation we need to have. But if you're in Christ Jesus, he never says, he never looks at you and says, boy, young man, you've ruined it. He never says that. But there are people in this room who believe that that's how God sees them. There are people in this room who believe whose picture of God is of a factory owner or a sergeant major or a demon headmaster. He's not. He's a loving father. He is your dad. Jesus uses the word father more than any other word he uses in the New Testament. And he calls God Abba. Now, Abba doesn't technically mean daddy, but it's the most affectionate word they had for father. And the most affectionate word we have for father is daddy. It's okay to know that God is your daddy. And whatever relationship you've had with your biological father, that's not the model for God. It's the other way around. I'm a dad, and I should model God. Not the other way around. You just need to know who you are. Because we need to share. Jesus says, go and make disciples. He definitely says that we do need to share the gospel. There's 35,000 people in Herne Bay, and they all need to hear the gospel. But we can't do it unless we are excited about it. And we won't be excited about it until we know who we are. And you won't know who you are until you know who he is. You need to know how much he loves you. How secure you are in his love. That's what the cross is. You can be secure because you can know that everything that you've done and everything that's been done to you is securely fastened at the cross. The cross is a big cosmic notice board that says, it is finished. And because it is finished, you're not finished because he's not finished with you. That's why we call it the gospel. It's really good news. It's really good news. And I wasn't told this. I wasn't told it. Lots of people in this room believe that repent just means stop being naughty. Lots of you were raised to believe that repent just means stop being naughty. It doesn't. It means change your mind and turn around. Change your mind about what? About how valuable you are to God. About how much he knows you and sees you and wants to comfort you. And turn around from what? From the stuff that's killing you. To the stuff that brings you life. To the person that brings you life. 
You see, pe- mindfulness, have you heard of mindfulness? Mindfulness is quite popular these days. It's quite new agey. Uh, but it, it's, it works. It's true with a small t. Because it's a corruption of truth with a big T. See, mindfulness is the idea that you, you control your thoughts. You focus positively on, on positive things. That changes your mind, and then you see things happen around you. Uh, it's, it works. But you don't need uh, mindfulness for that to happen. You could just read the New Testament, where you will find true mindfulness. Romans 12, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. <laughs> be transformed by the renewing of your mind. John 8, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not, you will feel the truth, and the truth will set you free. Feelings are fantastic servants, but they're terrible masters. I feel great this morning because I've had three cafetiers. I feel amazing. I've had so much coffee. And then later on today, when I'm driving back to Chesterfield, I'll feel terrible. My feelings are not a gauge of whether Jesus is sitting on the throne or not. Romans 6, Paul says, think of yourselves as dead to sin. You are actually dead to sin. So think about it that way. You've been given the mind of Christ. We should think about using it. James 1, consider it pure joy when troubles come. It doesn't say when troubles come, you think, well, this is proper race. Can't wait for these waves of trouble to assuage me. It doesn't say that. When troubles come, consider it pure joy. Change your mind. Repent, Christians. Just means change your mind. You are not worthless. People in this room are believing lies about themselves from the gates of hell. Some of you are believing that your addiction is inevitable, you'll never be free of it. Some of you are believing that you're not really lovable, that you couldn't possibly be loved. Some of you are believing that you're bad friends. Some of you are believing that you're, you don't have any gifts. Some of you believe that you're not creative. These are all lies from the gates of hell. But they impact your life. What we believe, much more than what we say, dictates how we live. We become like what we behold. We become like what we give our obedience to. See, Paul in Romans 1, he doesn't say, he doesn't call the Gentiles to faith, but the obedience that comes through faith. Now, again, who are we being obedient to? The question is, who are we being obedient to? We are not being obedient to a set of rules. He's not a factory owner. We are being obedient to the source of love, light, and life. Being obedient to life means getting rid of the stuff that's killing you. Being obedient to light means stepping out of darkness. Being obedient to love means understanding that you don't have to be lonely anymore. That's what it means to be obedient. It's not, it is true that you should be on your best behavior. But your best behavior is to behave as though you know you are loved. To behave as though you know you are free. That the gates of hell have not prevailed in your life. That's your best behavior. To understand how worth it you are. Jesus Christ says you are worth it. He came to find you when you felt like nothing. When you feel like nothing. And he says, my child, you're not on your own. The universe isn't meaningless. Come to me and I'll I'll show you who you were born to be. I know the plans I have for you. They're not plans to harm you. 
you need to understand this. If, if you are already someone who will call yourself a Christian in this room, you need to know that freedom is your birthright. Freedom is your birthright. You have a large share in hope. You have ownership over hope. Laughter was created with you in mind. Sometimes we just need to change our minds. When I say, because there's 35,000 people in Herne Bay and they all need to hear the gospel. If I were to say this week, which I am going to say to you, can I recommend that you go and tell somebody that God loves them? Just be honest, because I'm putting my hand up as well. Who, who feels scared about that? Who would be scared about that? Congratulations. Congratulations, honestly, because the enemy hates you and that's your prize. Honestly. It's him who's afraid. Satan is the one who's afraid. Because Satan's worst fear is that you would come into know, into the full knowledge of who God has created you to be. It's his fear, not yours. Because does the Bible say, it's a bit of a pop quiz, does the Bible say that you've been given a spirit of fear? No. It doesn't say that, does it? Does it say that you haven't? Yes. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So it's okay. Like when we've, like fear is a perfectly natural response in the same way that guilt is a perfectly natural response to having done something wrong. But it doesn't get to win because we haven't been given a spirit of fear. We can feel it, but it doesn't dictate because our feelings are not the things that should guide us. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So when you feel afraid, just own it. Like, say, yeah, I feel, I feel afraid. And yet, I know that God has given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Because we are not mastered by our emotions. We are slaves to Christ, who loves us. He's not, you're, not on, you're not on trial. I lived in fear for a long time. And again, you preach to yourself. Please don't think that I'm trying to elevate myself. You preach to yourself first of all. I was stuck in fear for a long time because I, 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 was, I became a Christian into a society that was already nominally Christian. I inherited a Christianity, but it wasn't biblical Christianity. It was middle-class Christianity. See, when I was, ra- I was raised in a sort of Christian home, but, and we were pro-Jesus. We would have voted Jesus in an election. But I was told that what was most important was to make something of yourself. Make something of yourself. You work hard. You strive to get yourself a good education so you can get a good job. So that when your kids come along, they can get a good education and they can get a good job. And it goes on and on and on. Boring! Boring. It's good advice, but it's not good news. That's not the gospel. It also disagrees overtly with the New Testament. In Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says of Jesus, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he made himself what? Famous, wealthy, really popular? Nothing. He made himself nothing. The Lord made himself nothing so that God's glory could be shown through him. So if I am claiming to follow someone who made himself nothing and I'm trying to make something of myself, no wonder people aren't becoming Christians because I'm not really living out the gospel. I inherited a Christianity where I was shown, not by what people say, because people said the right things. 
we were orthodox, we said the right things. I was shown by how people lived that life wasn't actually about Jesus. Most of my life, I haven't lived as though life was actually all about Jesus. Life was about providing comfort and security for yourself and your family. And that's, again, good advice. And God doesn't, like, God doesn't hate blessings. But the good news is not that. The letter to the Hebrews, right at the start of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews letter, says of Jesus, God the Father created the universe through him and appointed him heir to all things. It says that Jesus is the full radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things, all things by his powerful word. This collection of books tells me that life is, in fact, all about Jesus. And if life isn't all about Jesus, well, the Bible's lying. Fine. I've got other things I can do on a Sunday morning. I honestly have. It's not a bit true. It's either the truth or the greatest fraud. Paul, in 1 Corinthians... Paul even acknowledges this. He says, if, if, Christ, if Christ has not been raised, essentially we're morons. It's unheard of in any religious text. No other religious text has the humility to admit that if we're wrong, we're idiots. If it's either the greatest truth, the central truth of the universe, or the greatest fraud in the universe. Because it raises people's hopes to believe that truth can set you free. And actually, it it can't. If it's not for the cross, truth can't set you free because there is no such thing as truth. On atheism, we're not wired for truth. We're just wired for survival. Truth is a a cruel byproduct of sociobiological evolution. If the Bible is not lying and life is all about Jesus, then some people have been lying. And for me, it's the tenets of middle-class Christianity. They've been lying to me. I, was like, I had no expectation. I, were, I grew up believing in God, but with no expectation of seeing stuff. I'm going to talk very soon about the stuff I've started to see. Because I started to hear about people seeing people healed. Words of knowledge, words of prophecy. Freedom. And I thought, you know what, if this is, it, if this is the truth, I want it. I want to be right at the center. If this is true, you can have it all. You can have my life, Jesus. If it's true, you can have it all. If it's not true, you can't have any of it. There isn't a middle ground. I inherited a a middle-class Christianity where the good news was basically that I was white and raised in the West. That was the good news. But that's not my inheritance. That isn't my inheritance. The Bible says that my inheritance is not a, a graduate job and a saga holiday when I hit 50. That's not my inheritance. My inheritance is not a, a, nice, a nice garden when I retire. 1 Peter says that my inheritance is something that can never spoil, never perish, and never fade. And it's love, hope, joy, peace, purpose, freedom, fullness of life. Fullness of life. That's my inheritance. We've got to come claim it. I realize that someone did have a 50th birthday party yesterday, so like, enjoy that saga. Enjoy that... Uh, <laughs> We have, to, we have to stop believing lies and believe the truth because we're not neutral. We will believe something about ourselves. We do believe things about ourselves. And we have a choice. In that, blessed be your name, my heart will choose to say 
You do have to choose it. The Lord isn't going to co-opt you into his kingdom. He can't force you to love him. We, don't, we have another word for forced love, and we don't call it love. There's another four-letter word for forced love. He loves you enough to let you make a choice. You do have to choose it. Once you understand who you were born to be, once you understand who God is, who you are in the light of that, things change. See, some people came, someone came up to me at a preach and said, I was, um, I was surprised that you didn't try and convince me that God exists. I said, well, I'm not trying to convince you that God exists, because believing that God exists won't change anything. It won't make any difference whatsoever. I've always believed that God existed. I was addicted to pornography for 20 years. Believing in God didn't make any difference. You know, even believing that Jesus Christ, even believing that the crucifixion is a fact, won't change your life. Because do you know who else believes that the crucifixion is a fact? All the demons. All the demons. The demons have exactly the right theology. They know exactly who Jesus is. And most of them, I haven't checked with them recently, but most of them are not following him. They're not BFFs. Believing that the resurrection is a fact makes no difference whatsoever. What changes things is when your mind changes. Things change from when your mind changes. What changes things is living, is not believing that the resurrection is a fact, but living as though the resurrection is the central truth wired into the heart of the universe. That's what changes things. Things change when your mind changes. That's what repentance is. Repent and believe the good news. And when you know who you are, you can start to help other people. When you know who you are, and that God is your daddy, and that you're his child, and that he's speaking to you, that's when things change. I remember realizing that I could hear God's voice, that it was possible for me to hear, not that I always was hearing it, but it was possible for me to hear God's voice. And so I tried to, um, I was on this, I was on this train a few years ago, and this guy sat down next to me, 20, like 20 years old, probably 21, maybe 22, early 20s. And I, I said, okay, Lord, have you got, have you got something for him? Uh, and I heard God say, when I say I heard God say, I, I want to be clear, because it's confusing when Christians say I heard God say. What do I mean by that? I don't mean there was this big voice in the clouds. I just mean that a thought dropped into my head that corresponded to a feeling in my heart that I should say something. That's all I mean. It's the same voice that says, you've got to pick up your daughter from nursery, you're four hours late. It's, it's that. That might have been God as well. And on this occasion, I didn't know it was God's voice. Because I said, God, have you got something for this guy? And I just heard his name's Martin tell him that I love him. And I said, he's not called Martin. He's 21, he's not called Martin. No one's called Martin. No one in their early 20s is called Martin. No one's called Martin. So I didn't say anything. Because I thought, well, I've probably just been watching Martin Clunes on YouTube or something like that. You know, he's a great actor. Why not? Don't blame myself. But I didn't, I didn't say anything. Anyway, later on, this guy gets his bank card out, and he is called Martin. So, oh, no. You can't say anything then. Excuse me, your name Martin. Oh, yeah, how did you guess that? Darren Brown. <laughs> so that's not a good... I, I waited it. But I think I realized then that, oh, no, the Lord is... My dad is speaking to me because he wants people to know... Just that simple gospel that he, they're known and loved. They're known and loved. They're not written off. They're not forsaken. They're not on their own. You've got to come to the cross. Yes, I'm not saying you haven't. You have got to come to the cross because the cross is the only place in the universe where your identity gets given back to you and when the stuff that's killing you doesn't get to win. <laughs> you do have to come to the cross. 
There are not many ways to God, and you wouldn't want there to be. There's one, and his name is Jesus Christ. But he loves everybody, and he welcomes everybody if they would only come. So I was, um, I was in Huddersfield. A couple of nice stories now. I was in Huddersfield, and uh, I was out doing some street work. I don't mean I was a prostitute. I mean, uh, and I think you, it was just, I started clicking. I thought, oh, maybe he looks like he's a prostitute. I'm not, forget that. I'm not a prostitute. Weird thing for a preacher to say. Um, I was in Huddersfield, and I was going out doing some prayer for people. And there was this group of teenagers I went up to. And I said, excuse me, can I, can I pray for you guys? And uh, some of them were interested. Some of them were not interested. They were being abused verbally. And then the ringleader comes up. He says, he's only 15, but he, and he's, he's a rugby league player. Quite, not aggressive, but confrontational. He says, what do you mean praying? Who are you praying to? What's going on? Are you religious? And I heard God say, this guy's never met his dad. Ask him about it. I said to this guy, Nathan, I said, Nathan, tell me about your dad. I knew his name was Nathan. He told me his name was Nathan. I said, Nathan, tell me about your dad. And he went from being the alpha male and he just dropped, said, I've never met my dad. I said, this is going to seem a bit weird, Nathan, but I, I knew that. God just told me that. And I've got some good news for you. You see, I can tell by the way that your face dropped that you feel the absence of a father. See, there's certain things that we know by their absence as much as by their presence. It's what it means to be made in the image of God. We talked about it last night in the, in the very good award-winning show that I did. You know, you're, you know you're wired for purpose when you feel like your life's going nowhere. You know that you're wired for freedom when you feel trapped. You know you're wired for unconditional love when you feel rejected. You know you're wired to have a heavenly daddy when you don't know your biological daddy and it guts you. You know you're valuable to God when you feel abused by human people. We're wired for these things. I said, Nathan, I've got some good news for you. Because um, I can tell by the way your head dropped that you, you, you feel the lack of your dad. I've got some good news that there is, a, there is a father out there who loves you. And it's God. And the Bible tells me a couple of things about you. If I would only believe it, it tells, it tells me that he knew you before he made you in your mother's womb. And he offers to never leave you and never forsake you. And I just want you to know that. I want you to think about that. And he said, yeah, we'll think about it. And it, there was no great miracle. He, he didn't start crying. But something had changed because I saw something in his eyes that looked a lot like hope. Something raised in his eyes that looked a lot like hope. Because all I had done, all I had done was to be obedient to what I heard, even if it might have been wrong. But all I had done was to tell this guy who thought he was an orphan that he wasn't born to be an orphan and God wasn't prepared to leave him that way. Because that's in here as well. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not do that. Because you do have a dad who loves you. You are his child. So you don't really have many rights as a human being. You, you, you do have the right to become a child of God. The book of John tells us, like, to all those who believe, he gave the right to become a child of God. Are you kidding me? A child of the creator of the universe. To be in that relationship, to be in that loving, intimate relationship with the creator. This is why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. I was in South Africa, and... Um, like four or five years ago now. And I was writing down some stuff before. I was doing this, uh, I'd done a f some gigs and some preaches and uh, before an evening service in uh, Life Church Bryanston. So you can check it out if you want to, if you want to check that I'm telling the truth in Johannesburg. Uh, there was 300 people in the audience, mainly white, but some kind of, you know, uh, Zulu, Zulu nation, kind of descendants of the Zulu nation in there as well. And I'd, I'd written down some stuff as I was praying before the service. I didn't know anyone there. I'd just written down some stuff. And at the end, 
I had something really specific. Some of the stuff was nonsense, like the bicycle shining on my knees as well. You've just got to, you've got to trust that God speaks through your imagination. Not everything you hear is going to be from the Lord, because like, if, you, if you get up in the morning and you read Facebook and not Scripture, well, you're not just going to have Scripture in your mind, are you? Like, if you watch Game of Thrones uh, and don't get on your knees and, and, and pray, well, what, what are you expecting your mind to be full of? Like, we feed our body three good meals a day and, and, our, and our soul one poultry meal a week. What do we expect? It's not a criticism, but it's a criticism of me, actually. <laughs> so anyway, I was writing some stuff down. I had this very specific um, thing to share. It was so specific that I thought I'd give a general thing. So I said, if anybody has lost a child, I'd love to pray with you at the end. If anyone's lost a child, I'd love to pray with you at the end. And four people came forward. The first three were all very similar, kind of young white girls, and they'd all got a friend, separate friend, who'd had a, a miscarriage. And I was able to say, well, I'd love to pray with you, because again, God knew, knows that baby and loves that baby, and that baby's safe with Jesus. I'd love to pray with you about that. And then this fourth woman comes up, and she says, um, she was a, a, a black lady. She said, my name's Josephine, and uh, I haven't, my son's not dead, but you didn't say whose son is dead. You said, who's lost a child? And I've lost my child, and I've lost my son to the world of drugs. He's, he's embroiled in drugs, and we don't know where he is. And she could see that I'd started crying. I said, can I just show you what I've written down? And I went to get my pad. I should have brought it with me today. Like countdown, it's just the same working out. I went to get my pad, and what I'd written down in my pad was a black lady named Josephine has lost a child, and God will give her back a son. And like, she was a bit emotional, but I was just a wreck. I was literally on the floor. It's like, oh my gosh. He's speaking. He's speaking to a lady from South, a black lady from South Africa, and a young man from Newcastle under Lyme in Staffordshire. And he's building that bridge by just a very simple word of knowledge. And I hadn't like concocted it. It was just like, I was asked, Lord, what do you want to say? He's real and he knows you and he loves you. And he's speaking. And it doesn't mean that everything we hear is from him because there are lies out there. But you know, the more we read this, the more we, we understand and recognize the Father's voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. It doesn't say they will always recognize my voice, but they hear my voice and they will follow, and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. If you want to move in the Spirit, you've got to be rooted in the Word. You've got to be. Because Ephesians 6 says, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I was chatting to some pagans at a market in Chesterfield recently, and they, they were... They were filibustering, really. They, were trying to, they didn't let me speak. They were telling me that Jesus was Thor and Odin. Okay, great. Just based on nothing, but they were just telling me all these things. And after half an hour of just being patient, I was able to just share a couple of scripture verses. And they hated it. Something in them hated it. Because the enemy knows the Bible. I'm not saying that these people were demons. I'm not even definitely saying that they were demonized in any way. But they probably were. <laughs> they probably were. There's, there's other powers at work than the power of the Holy Spirit. We are in a spiritual war. Whether you want to be, whether you understand it or not, you, could just, you just have to accept that, that that is going on. When we speak the word of God, that is the sword of the Spirit. It cuts through the ties of the enemy. It cuts through the bonds of the enemy. And the enemy hates it. 
you want to move in the Spirit, you've got to be rooted in the Word. There's no way around it. Because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. But once you, once you get into this, and you read what it says about you, you, come, you do come to know the truth, and you, root, you, you base yourself on the truth. And then lies don't have the same power over you. Lies don't have the same power over you. Peter, the, the subplot through the New Testament of, about Peter is just, it's incredible. It's incredible. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. Satan has asked to sift you. Imagine that. Imagine being told that the, the powers of darkness have personally asked to have a go at you. Which means also at some point, Jesus said to Satan, go on then, have a run up at my boy. See how you get on. And we see it played out. We see it played Because he does have a go at sifting him. And he almost gets him. Peter denies Jesus three times. And Jesus still says, I'm building my church on you. I'm building my church on you, the guy who denied me three times. Because there is no condemnation. Which is why in 1 Peter, right at the start of 1 Peter, Peter's letter, he says, we're being built up like living stones. Peter's telling them what he, he's learned from. It's like, if we don't base, if we don't have Christ as our foundation, it doesn't matter how, what you're trying to build, it won't work. Unless your firm foundation is the cornerstone, you can't build very high or for very long. And it all come to dust. Peter knows that. He's learning. I love it. He's learning from experience. We are being built up like living stones. You've got to have Jesus as your foundation. But again, Jesus is not a set of rules or commandments. Jesus is the living word. He is love and light and life. And once you know the power of the gospel, once you choose to trust it, once you choose to know it, your life will change and the lives of people around you will change. My favorite verse in the entire Bible. I'm nearly finished now. I've enjoyed this very much. I'm much less animated than I would normally be. But you gauge, you gauge the room, and you guys are like wise. I'm literally preaching to the choir. My favorite verse in the entire Bible is Colossians 2.15. It says, um, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. Imagine. Seriously? Having, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What do we mean by powers and authorities? We mean the powers of darkness. We mean anything dark that's trying to steal your identity and your joy. It might be addiction, it might be depression, it might be self-harm, it might be anxiety, it might be unforgiveness, it might be rage, it might be loneliness. These are powers and authorities that try to steal you away from the truth. Having disarmed them, he made a public, public spectacle of them. He lured them out into the open. Took them on head to head in the greatest rap battle of all time. And won triumphed over them by the cross. 
Addiction is real. Depression is real. Self-harm is real. Anxiety is real. But guess what? Because of the cross, they do not get to win. They do not get to beat you. They don't get to have the final say. If death is on the cross, but anxiety isn't, then there's a plot hole in the gospel. If death is on the cross, but addiction isn't, there's a plot hole in the gospel. And there are no plot holes in the gospel. These things are real, but they're also taken care of. So that your identity and your future is not dictated to by them. When I first got married, um, I told you my wife called my wife uh, Bambi because she's cute and clumsy and I want to shoot her mum. We've been over this. <laughs> We've been over this last night. When we first got married, um, I was a porn addict and my wife was a self-harmer. So again, I'm, I'm preaching from experience here. In the first year of our marriage, um, my wife used to uh, cut her arms a lot. She used to lock herself in the bathroom with scissors and she used to cut her arms. And she threatened to kill herself on one occasion. She didn't, but you know what, to, to hear it was enough. That was enough to hear it. And because I, didn't, I wasn't rooted in this, I wasn't really rooted in the truth. I was a believer but not a follower. I didn't, just didn't understand the power of the gospel. I didn't understand that it was for me, that these things were written for me. I couldn't help her. I didn't know how to help, and so I retreated into myself, into, into porn addiction, because there I had control, you see. I had control over a fantasy world where I felt safe, where my fear was blocked off for a bit. So that was the first, year, that was the first kind of couple of years of our marriage. Um, and, and the good news is that we're not there now, because now we do understand more who Jesus is. It's a growth. It's a progressive revelation, maybe. But the big change for me has been choosing to trust that this is true. Because whatever anybody else says about you, whatever anybody else has said about you in your life, God spoke first and speaks with the only authority in the universe. And he will also have the final say. So, Nine years ago, like I used to, I used, my wife used to come out of the bathroom and, and she'd have just, her wrist would be bloody and it was, it, was, it was horrible. It was horrible, but, but we're, not, we're, not there, we're not there now. In, um, in the Gospels, do you know Thomas, doubting Thomas? When Jesus resurrects, Thomas isn't there the first time. So the second time Jesus comes back, Thomas is like, well, I don't believe this. And Jesus says, Thomas, come here, mate. Feel, touch my side, touch my, touch my arms. And Thomas feels them. He says, my Lord and my God. As if to say, it's you. It's really you. Because Thomas sees that they're not wounds anymore. They're scars. They're healed. He's alive. He's back. Nine years ago, I used to look at the, the, the wounds on my wife's arms, and I used, to, I used to hate it. I can look at the scars on her arms now and say, you know what? They're beautiful. They're like a work of art. You're following Jesus, and you've got the scars to prove it. And I can look at the Lord and say, I can look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God, it was you. You healed her. By your wounds, her wounds are healed. 
Isaiah 53, written 3,000 years ago, we live the truth of it today. We stand on that truth. I'm no longer a, a porn addict. People say to me, oh, careful, Andy, <laughs> careful. You know, once an addict, always an addict. No, I'm sorry, I really strongly disagree. Once a child of God, always a child of God. That's the narrative. That's the main storyline in your life. The storyline of the universe is not, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm really struggling with this. No, nonsense. You may be really struggling, but it's on the cross. That's what the cross is. The cross is the thing that killed Jesus, but it's a stop sign for all the things that are trying to kill you. The cross is a big cosmic restraining order against the powers of death and destruction. If you're on the right side of the cross, it can't touch you. That's what it means to be made alive. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, and sometimes he does. But Jesus says, I have come. I am here. I've shown up so that you can have life and have it in its fullness. Make your choice. You will serve something, but you can't serve two masters. You will serve the powers of darkness, or you will serve the powers of light. Nine years ago, I looked at the scars on my, the wounds on my wife's arms, and they were bloody, and they were bleeding, and they looked like death, and they spoke of death. Today, I can look at the scars on my wife's arms, and I can rejoice, because they don't look like death anymore. Now, they look like resurrection. Now, they look like new life. That's the power of the gospel. That's why we call it the gospel, because it's just really good news. So why don't, this is the last thing. So why don't, this week, why don't you, um, let's say there's 50 adults here. I've done some sums. If every person, every adult, everyone in this room, you're all adults. The, what's the, what are the two lads, what's your name? Y- you, yes. Y- young man there, yes, very good. And the slightly younger man behind you, what's your name? <laughs> Adam. What about you, mate? Luke, okay. So what the Lord's saying to you this, this morning is that um, God calls you son, but not boy. You're his, you're his sons, but you're not boys. He calls you man of God. And what's your name at the back? Olivia. So for you, God says, um, so the, God, the Lord gave me the, the song, you won't remember it, it's a young girl, you're out of your mind. It's from like the 60s or something. Um, the stuff that's driving you mad, don't worry, God's got you. Okay? So this week, go and tell somebody that God loves them. Just say, look, I just want to let you know that, that God loves you. Have you ever been told that before? And they'll probably say no. And say, well, I just, I've got some good news for you. You don't have to come up with loads of apologetics. Just say, just like, there is a God who loves you. He knows you and he loves you. And he wants you to know freedom. And then tell your story. Tell, tell them what Jesus has done for you. It might be a neighbor. It might be a, a friend. It might be someone in, in, a, in a coffee shop. We were in this coffee shop in Chesterfield uh, two days ago. And me and my little, my little mate Josh, he's the, the Timothy to my Paul. And I hope he's Timothy, he better not be Barnabas. Um, <laughs> and uh, the guy serving us, he had a tattoo on his arm. It said, the future belongs to those who believe in the power of their dreams. 
and uh, I was just asking the Lord for stuff for him. And he came over, I said, um, there's a bit in the Bible, mate, that says, trust in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, which is a kind of reformed version of, of what you've got on your arm there. I said, I just felt like the Lord gave me a picture of, of, of you um, running your own establishment, your own restaurant, and you're using it to bring in homeless people and to help homeless people. He's like, oh, it's interesting you should say that, which is usually a sign that God has, that it's landed. Usually when Jesus heals people, they say, we've never seen anything like this before. When people say stuff like that, it's usually a sign that the Lord's shown up. So it's interesting you should say that. When I was, um, when I was 17, I was, I was homeless, and I, I do now, I work with a charity that helps homeless people. So that was his heart. Like, God knows his heart. Like, you don't have to worry about we don't, not everything we hear is from the Lord, but it's, it's okay. We can just ask God, and we can offer stuff. And do you know what? People are blown away by the fact that you, they are known, that you would try and offer. I've seen some people healed when I've prayed for them. Most people haven't been healed. But I've never had anyone I've prayed for who wasn't healed annoyed. People are usually blown away that you, you would think about them that way. In Luke 10, Jesus says, he sends out the 72 in twos. I know I said I was going to finish 10 minutes ago. Not bothered. No, I am bothered. <laughs> Jesus sends out the 72 in twos to heal the sick, preach the gospel. They come back rejoicing. They say, Lord, even the demons believe your name. Even the demons obey your name. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, look, I'm the Lord. That's kind of, of course they do. He says, don't rejoice at the fact that this, the spirits obey you. Rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Act out of your identity. When we share, it's... The fear will come. I am always, I am an evangelist and one of the best in the country. And I am terrified when I go to share the gospel. Terrified. But you've got to step out. Because my identity is not in fear, it's in perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. And perfect love is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. So don't worry about the fact that you're afraid. It's Satan's fear, not yours. Step out and share. Your identity is in him. Act out of your identity. And then whether they listen or refuse to listen, they will know that they've had a prophet amongst them. And it will have been you. Because that's who you are. Amen.